1: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSCL.com.
2: Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen.
3: Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more.
1: Silent breed is people! I am the father. You get it?
0: Real spoilers. You've been warned.
2: Broadcasting from the lush but not lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers Episode 267, Beauty
0: and the Beast. Which are you? Kevin? uh you know what? i'm gonna let the <laughs> listeners decide because you know the the podcast medium is a great way to determine whether one is beauty or a beast
2: you know like it's we're it's very uh new millennium where it's so now the joke everybody's sick of hearing is I have a face for podcasting <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, where we're at. So, exactly um so we're it's just uh we're down to two on this particular episode so we uh brought in a guest uh our resident disney expert Jim hill from Jim hill media hi jim hey guys how are you tonight? doing excellent so we figured uh who would know more about this sort of stuff than jim hill he always has great inside scoop and stories and behind the scenes and trivia and like there's a lot of disney nerds on this podcast but you kick our ass and we mean that as a compliment even though it had the word nerd in it oh (laughs) so uh um all right. So I guess let's uh, just so- kind of start. We normally just kind of go through the, the the plot points of the movie. And since Joe, our resident synopsisizer, is uh, not here, I'm going to make Kevin do it.
0: Oh no! <laughs>
2: <laughs> really? Yeah, you're the you're the you're the one that's like, I love this. but I've seen the original a million times, so uh, it first, should be easy. First for of you. all, it
0: was only like nine hundred thousand times I've seen the original. <laughs> to be fair, but no this this is my favorite Disney animated film. This is one that uh, I've held near and dear for a long time growing up you know i think i rank it somewhere i mean this number one aladdin number two lion king number three so that's kind of my order tom what's your order of disney animated stuff
2: um especially when you get into that the that the disney renaissance Renaissance. not the old but like including of like Um, mermaid or great mouse detective on i gotta
0: go with little mermaid
2: yeah i think every song in that works like there's not a there's not a, a clunker among them in that one
0: See, that's how I feel about this one, too, because yeah. the music is so good, and obviously we'll get into that, but I think the reason it's so timeless is because the animated film, the Broadway show, this movie, you know, without this great music, you know, I mean, that's, that's what really makes it. Jim, how about you? What are your, some of your favorites from The Resurgence?
3: Um, well, you know, I mean, it just, you know, the, the, the Beast is a favorite, but if I've got to pick a best from that period, I think it's Aladdin um, mostly because of you know I mean it's a great Venn diagram I mean it's it's you know great Disney animation wonderful score you know the the last that we really got from from Ashman and coupled with you know Robin Williams' performance which you know really you know sort of set fire to that film and particularly now that you know we the way we lost Robin Williams it's just it you know it's it, it's a harder film to watch now particularly. You know, I, I always tear up when the genie says goodbye to Aladdin. I think that's one of the best story moments out of a Disney animated film. But now it's just that much tougher to watch. But,
1: but sure. Beast is you know, right up
3: there. I mean, Beast is is the film that convinced a lot of adults. You know, I mean, this that was the thing people forget about. You know, the film in ninety one. This was a date movie. I mean, people yeah. literally took other adults to this movie because of the romance and the humor and the music, and that was, you know, why it was the very first uh, you know, animated film to get, you know, uh, to, to get a best picture nomination. Then
2: I feel like this is the this was the movie where people were like, There this is Broadway for the masses. Like this is Broadway without going to Broadway. It was a Broadway caliber production. It just happened to be a cartoon.
3: And, you know, it's funny you say that because that when Frank Rich, who was the lead theater critic for the New York Times, uh, wrote about this movie, he said the best Broadway musical of the year is in a (laughs) movie theater right now. It's Beauty and the Beast. And and that is actually one of the things that convinced Michael Eisner that, okay, this is the one we're going to take to Broadway. This is going to be our first, you know, really for real theatrical production. So, oh, no, you're
0: right on the money. That's why it's such a smooth transition. I mean, it works so well, because how do you screw that up? I mean, as long as you have good costumes and good actors, like the songs are already there. It's a it's a hit Broadway show waiting yeah. to be made. Mm-hmm. So
3: it was still I mean, you know, <laughs> they, they, they still struggled with that one. In fact, there are some just great stories from the tryout at Theater of the Stars. And I, I want to say it was Houston where, you know, I mean, there's things you could do in animation, Like, for example, act two of the musical starts off with the wolf attack on, you know, on Belle in the woods. And, you know, for the initially what they did were puppets. And, you know, so it's supposed to be this big, tense moment, and the music builds, and (laughs) out of the fog basically come these dog Muppets. And it was like, you know, the audience starts laughing, and it's just like, okay, that's not going to work. You know, and they, (laughs) they, to this day, even when, you know, community theater groups do it, because I guess they, they reconfigure the wolves as dancers, like, really bad cats type dancers only with wolf costumes it,
2: that's redundant that's redundant yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just one of
3: those moments where it's like can we get past this quickly and get the beast back and bell back to the castle and
2: you know it's interesting i've, n- I've never seen the the broadway production but mm-hmm. i've always kind of wondered where the split point is because i don't feel like this this story Has a a natural Like traditional Shakespearean Apex moment where this is where the Story break is and it it Ends on a big beat and then you take a Pause have your intermission and and pick it up like it it doesn't really have that moment it's halfway point is they're kind of just
0: putzing around the castle trying to figure out they love each other to me it seems like after the wolf attack when she realizes that she doesn't leave him to die she saves him and after that you get the there's something there song so to me that feels like the split yeah
3: it's interesting i mean you know in fact what's kind of funny is the difference between the broadway show and now the 2017 live action is that in the 2017 thing you have the number well, when the when the Beast releases Belle and she goes back to her, you know you know hops on the horse and goes running you know off into the countryside. There's a song. What is it? Uh, Forevermore, I
0: think the Beast. Evermore. Was, yeah, yeah, that new one by Dan Stevens or that he sings is Evermore. Yeah,
3: and it's just the thing is he's climbing the castle and he keeps looking at the window and she's getting further away and. You know, because she and she's riding on her you know wearing her yellow dress while she, so he can pick her out in the, the ornamental garden. But in the Broadway show, the way they end Act One is that you know from the moment where the bell jar, where, where she you know she goes to touch the rose, takes the bell jar off, and they, heck, he screams at her and that sort of thing, and he realizes he's driven her away, and it's, it's the exact same thing. He basically climbs the castle, they actually rotate the set. And he has a song called If I Can't Love Her. And it's actually the big ballad that ends the first act. And it's was really effective with that placement. I, to be honest, I don't think, you know, Forevermore worked where it was in the live-action thing. I mean, I get it. You know, you want to give Dan Stevens a song, and obviously this is a dramatic point in the story, but it's just sort of like... He kept singing and climbing and singing and climbing. And it's just sort of like, alright, you're gonna run out of castle soon, because this really isn't a good song.
2: <laughs> you know. It's like, it's- is this castle designed by Eicher?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I'll, I'll have to agree to disagree with you there, because that's my favorite new song of the movie. I loved it. I thought it was just beautifully written by Alan Menken. Uh, I thought Dan Stevens did a great job performing it. Josh Groban does a version, but I actually prefer the Dan Stevens one, and I I loved it.
2: Well, I think Jim and I are gonna gang up on you then, because I I, th- I thought all the new music for this movie was just completely bland and forgettable.
0: Yeah, so I, I, w- I wasn't too yeah. crazy about most of the additions. There's four new songs, mm-hmm. uh, if you include the post credits version. The Celine Dion sings that Kevin Klein kind of hums a few bars of it. You right. know, uh, um But I, I just thought Evermore was beautiful. But you know, hey, you know, teach their own. Yeah, I just your r- your was really disappointed. But it's it yeah.
3: interesting you say that because the, the, I
0: think you know Kevin Klein
3: because he undersells that song it works.
0: Oh yeah, his version don't yeah. get me wrong, his version's better than Celine Dion's. I <laughs> I would much rather hear Kevin because Kevin Klein is singing it about his daughter and his life and mm-hmm. there's there's acting going on. It's not right. just singing, he's acting the song It's and-
2: funny how you say that Kevin Klein undersells cuz I felt like his his entire performance undersold the role and I and 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 I mean that in a good way. Like I it would have been so easy to go big and and instead he went the other direction and i i do think that he made his story arc a lot more poignant because he went smaller not larger like he felt I, more I, I totally wounded agree. by life i totally agree yeah.
3: so let's okay so if we're talking performances and differences in characters we got to go to it gentlemen let's talk about Fou.
0: And <laughs> Certainly, I, th- this this to me, I, I you know you you have some more insight than I do, I think. But uh, I I thought it was such a non-issue because you know the director of Bill Condon didn't interview, and I think it was uh, what it was a gay magazine or online publication, and so I think he was pandering to his audience. I mean, he clearly was using. Dialogue that he doesn't use in his everyday or any other interviews, and he tried to play it up to their audience, like, "Hey, we have an openly gay character." And I completely disagree. There's nothing openly gay about the character. You can infer it. You can take your best guess. I mean, it it clearly is in that direction. But again, he's not openly gay. The definition of that would be him saying, "I am gay. I am looking for a husband." Like he's not. I don't openly know. I gay.
2: I I felt like he was pretty open about his his attraction. To Gaston it's just Gaston was so Narcissistic he didn't hear it But you'd have to interpret you know?
0: that he I mean The actor Luke Evans for instance um, He has come, came out and said That that he does not feel that lefou is gay he feels that he is looking up to him like a, a best friend or you know like you would do to another uh, that feels like damage control <laughs> maybe but you know but guys, i mean well, I mean
3: guys, l- guys. all right yeah. yes we're not talking about gay we're, we're talking about we have a lefou that is at least 20 to 30 iq points <laughs> ahead of of Gaston, I mean th- th- again, I think that was the story. the smart lafo hmm. the you know the, yeah, I mean, how many the times fool, did, yeah like, Fou diffused situations where you know you know, like for example, when he calms down Gaston at some point, remember the war, widows, you know that's that, that, yeah, that, oh yes, I mean, just i I think for me that was what was fascinating the The notion of the smart LeFou, the one who's, you know, in in fact, I think as the film is starting, he's actually questioning whether I should be still hanging out with this guy. I mean, in fact, supposedly, according to Condon, there was this entire backstory that they worked out for Gaston that basically 12 years before the film starts, there's this battle and Gaston actually manages to defeat this this group of Portuguese marauders that are are here invading the village. And so he's been a hero and revered for this time, but he's been riding on that this whole time. And, you know, LeFou was with him in the wars and clearly was enamored of him at that point. But again, over the course of the way he behaves in this movie, you kind of see LeFou disengaging. In fact, there's that... Moment in the middle of the slapstick battle at the castle where suddenly, you know, what is it? LeFou is is talking with with, uh, Mrs. Potts and and we're kind of in a bad place and, you know, I really feel like I need to switch sides.
0: and I don't know. I mean, well, well, that starts, uh, that actually starts in the Kill the Beast song. You know, that was, I, I thought, one of the best additions. You know, I know we're jumping around a bit, but in that song, Kill the Beast, a completely new line for LeFou says that, you know, there's a beast running about. I can't remember the lines, but it's not. It's not the beast, it's Gaston is what he's alluding to. And I thought that was great. That was a great character. Um, Although I would argue that that
2: change in direction for Mm. LeFou is proof that they think he's a gay character because they didn't want to make him a gay character and then have him be a villain, so they had to have a a redemption of sorts for him so they didn't have to deal with the backlash of why is the gay guy a villain? That's
3: That's interesting, yeah. I I, I don't think we're in... Blowout territory, (laughs) you know. Well, no, yeah, you (laughs) know, something like that. I mean, look, you know, for me, the entire issue of lefou being gay was secondary. I mean, for me, the revelation was he's smart, you know. And in fact, you know, just that, and I I really enjoyed what he brought to the. I mean, in fact, that was the thing of, of Gad's performance. Was again just like Klein's kind of underpitched. I mean, I love that moment where the the Bimbets are sort of you know, sort of mooning at Gaston, and and, you know, and Lafoux walks past and forget about it, ladies, never gonna happen. You know, just it was uh, that was it wasn't interesting, yeah, added to the film. But then you look at things like, um, you know, don't get me wrong, I love Stanley Tucci, but the whole cadenza thing. You know, to go that whole route for one gag at the end of the movie, where he's, you know, this uh, he turns into a harpsichord, and then in the big slapstick battle, he's shooting his teeth at payble people, and so so you get that one gag at the end where he smiles after being reunited with his wife, you know, Audrey Macdonald, and he's toothless. It's like you you that you go. Two hours just for that gag? <laughs> you
2: know. God, I didn't even realize that that was what that was supposed well, yeah, to be. Because he was shooting the white yeah. keys at no, at the, no. the bad I, guys. I didn't even make that connection. No yeah. Well,
0: well like, so,
3: in fact, there's a moment before he he plays for the the you know beating the the beast in the ballroom where it's I will play through the dental pain, and it's just sort of like uh, I I don't know. There, right. I was gonna say I they built it, it
0: up they built it up a lot earlier i was going to mention that line like it was a long a long game to get to the end <laughs>
3: yeah, you know just and, and that's the other thing there are so many things in this where would they attempt to deepen and change it and i i get it it's 25 years later and you know the disney formula as we've seen so far with uh you know these these new the new fairy tale franchise i mean if you think about the changes they made to cinderella you know, just a, a couple of years ago, and, or likewise, Jungle Book to, you know, to you know, to make it the same only different. It's like, what did you think of the whole magical map thing, and then going back to their old, you know, that that's Maurice and and his wife's old apartment or or home or whatever it was, and.
0: I appreciated the backstory. So, I mean, again, being a huge fan of the animated classic, the original movie is less than an hour and a half. And so this movie is over two hours. But to me, it never feels too drawn out to me you get backstories of the prince we understand why the prince is the way he is because I honestly have a lot of questions and have had questions for 25 years as to why did this 10 year old or 11 year old kid why was he alone and why is he punished for not letting a stranger in the house he's 11 years old with no parents like you know so we get more of his backstory we get Bell's mother which we never get any backstory about her mother and this one you understand why she's lives alone with her father and the pain they went through and so to me those those, those additions were really meaningful, and I enjoyed them because I want more from these characters. I, I love this story, and so <laughs>
3: okay, you know, okay. I, I I get that I do. But just as a Disney geek, look, there's a an attraction right now at Walt Disney World called Enchanted Tales with Belle, where you go to Maurice's cottage. All right. And, you know, again, the Imagineers who had no idea, I mean, they were putting this together 2011, 2012, that this movie was ever in the works. But as you you go into this place and there are paintings up on the wall of, you know, toddler Belle, little girl Belle with her mom. And it just I can't help but think that this, you know, face it, this movie. That's the other thing. I think at some point we have to talk about the box office of this thing. We are eight you know what is it? They they had Wednesday's numbers up. Okay, as of Wednesday, this thing has made two hundred and seventeen million dollars domestic. Uh, coupled with um, you, you factor in two hundred and forty four million dollars overseas. So uh, total worldwide box office six days in is you know four hundred and sixty one million dollars. This thing will be at a half a billion dollars early Friday. Okay. Um, so it's both beauty and a beast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's beautiful for Disney it's for beautiful sure. Disney, yeah. yeah.
3: Well, you know, I mean, think about it. You know, the, the Hollywood rule of thumb is that you have to make three times your production costs before you come into a profit. This thing was budgeted $160 160 million, so literally this thing is into profit a week into release. I mean, that's that's amazing. But but at the same time to double back to the traction <laughs> you know you so you know you you've told uh, you know the world now with this new movie that that you know bell's mom died of plague and so here you are in the house looking at the pictures up on the wall and Wait a minute! This is where she died. Oh, you know, it's this is where people had plague. Oh,
0: that's (laughs) you know what? That's funny. I never made that connection because I was just at Disney. I went, I went last March and last October, and I never went went to that one. I heard it was more for kids, and then we had something to run to, so we were in line. Then we got out of it, and and so I never actually went into the cottage. But that's really interesting connection you made.
3: Yeah. So you know, just it's going to be you know, I'd hate to be the poor cast member who's in there now. Ow. You know, it's like no, no, no. She didn't die of plague.
2: No, that that's a live
3: action movie. You know, no, oh, you my, don't have to get that. No, of...
2: no, knowing Disney, instead, what they're doing is they they sold a very nice sponsorship to like uh, hand sanitizer. Oh, there you, <laughs> there
3: you go.
0: You know, it's you know someone's gonna go in there and leave one of those old doctor masks in
2: the, in the cottage.
0: <laughs> those That'd creepy pointy nose ones. Together. Yeah. So I... so why don't we start at the beginning because I have you know I have some questions and and I know Jim has some additional insight to the very beginning. So. The movie starts off very similarly to the animated film. This time you have the Enchantress narrating, but uh, same old story. You know, there's a prince and he's alone at this castle. But instead of just going through the story, they kind of break into this new song. And that's the one by, is it Audrey McDonald?
3: Yeah, that Audrey McDonald. Uh, It's worth noting here that, again, you get to see Dan Stevens, though, you know, he's what? You, you, You get close up of the eyes and he's got makeup on because he's having a party with all of the attractive young women from the
0: kingdom. Um, yeah, he's got the wig and the makeup and as as they did back in the old days.
3: Yeah, and again, this is that's the other thing that's kind of intriguing about this. You know, the animated film from 91 is sort of generic fairy tale France. They don't necessarily lock in a period of time. This is 1740. I mean, that that's, you know, that's where the production design is set and not only that, this is set in the south of France. Uh, in fact, supposedly somewhere around Villeneuve set about the Easy time of Louis the 15th. So uh, that explains the way people addressed at the ball, that sort of thing. But for me, what intrigues me is again, you know, it's like, look, we want you to know right up front we have Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey in this movie. So pay attention, you'll get to see him again. You know. Um, <laughs> but, so,
0: you know, to, to me, the, this first scene, Uh, you know it wasn't so bad the second time because of course going into this movie the first time as a fan of the 91 film i'm looking for all the changes i'm like how are they going to do this are they going to mess it up are they going to do a great job and so to me right off the bat it felt a little self-indulgent because i'm expecting just the backstory of the prince and then all of a sudden you get this lavish party with the choreography with all the dances and camera movements sweeping in and out of the ballroom and to me it just felt a little self-indulgent for the sake of You know being lavish and And so I I didn't necessarily need that dance Scene to set things up I don't know what you
2: Well I think they were trying to get you to Sympathize with all the The staff who'd been kind of Accidentally swept up in the punishment For his douchebaggery And so I I get what They were going for although I gotta say Overall I liked this movie but All the new stuff did nothing For me every time they went to something New I was it to me it Was a snooze fest it, t- it really took me out of it i didn't think that what they added really added a whole lot
0: well i like the choice so i like the choice again the backstory developing the backstory of these characters is something i really appreciated i didn't necessarily need this whole dance scene but i get what they're doing and that's fine and again the second time i, I was expecting it so you were fine. dancing yeah I, well, yeah because i was the dance along version <laughs> but um one thing that i really appreciated was him being older because there's there's always some confusion and, and a bit of a weird issue surrounding the original film. So in the original, when people do the math, and, and again, it's all kind of up in the air, but when people do the math, the original prince is 10 or 11 years old. And so you either have, if, if he's frozen in time, he basically has the mentality of a 10 or 11 year old who's never really... Developed past that, you know, right? And so the question is: Is he frozen in time, or does he grow up? Because obviously, it's before this twenty-first birthday. He has to fall, make someone fall in love, and so you know, it's always just a a weird question of like, well, then why is Chip still a kid? Because if if the prince goes from ten or eleven to twenty-one, how is Chip a six-year-old? You know, like there's really weird time issues at play. I mean,
2: I guess if you really want to delve into it, you could make the argument that like, well, cups. Like, the inanimate objects don't age over time, but an animal would. Oh,
0: I've ne- that actually is really insightful because I've never heard that theory. Yeah. But anyway, so I like how they made him just an adult right off the bat, or a young adult. You know, right. I-, I like that because you're not dealing with then why is a kid pushing away an old lady at, at 10 or 11? Because honestly, if you're a 10-year-old kid, you know, alone in your castle, do you really expect strangers like at this point in time who knows who's coming to attack you or do whatever. Like, he's yeah. the kid's 10. So, Jim, do you have any insight on the original, like what they were trying to do with that uh, beginning? It's
3: so strange that I actually went down into the open trash pit that I laughingly call a library in the basement <laughs> and dug out the screenplay that Linda Wolverton uh, wrote, uh, obviously with Howard Ashman's help, for Beauty and the Beast. And I have the draft here from uh june of 1990 this was when they were actually going to animate the opening of the film when they didn't run out of time and money and have to do that entire sequence as a series of um, stained glass windows i mean it was it's very effective and it it, you know sort of telescopes that action and gets you right you know two bells stepping out of your cottage and right into the song bell but if you guys you want to hear it or absolutely absolutely Okay, so this is the, the, it's noted as the prologue, and it starts off with, an ornate storybook opens on an illustration of a beautiful white shining castle that looks down upon a lush green countryside. Once upon a time, there lived a spoiled, self-centered little boy who would one day grow to rule a kingdom. In full animation, we see an 11, so we have an age here, an 11-year-old child. Uh, who is being dressed and fussed over by a slew of harried servants, but the boy is is making it impossible for them. He's sick and tired of getting all dressed up, sick and tired of being polite, sick and tired of boring old ceremonies. His two regents try to explain that a wise woman respected throughout the land is coming to pay him a visit. The wise woman used to give advice to his parents, and some say she has magical powers. I don't care. It's my castle, and I'm only going to do what I want to... the boy pushes the servants away. Just try and stop me. Uh, the boy runs through the courtyard where he collides with what looks like an old beggar woman. She's coming up the walkway carrying a basket of flowers. He knocks her to the ground. The court gasp. Uh, servants run up to help her to her feet. The old woman levels her gaze at the boy. She's a craggy old crone, but with the wisdom of the ages in her eyes. I'm waiting for an apology, she says. The boy seems surprised. He laughs. You can wait all day. You're not going to apologize? He crosses his arms stubbornly. I don't have to. She smiles patiently. I'll give you one more chance. The boy's temper flares. Why should I say I'm sorry to some old beggar woman? I don't care about you. He angrily kicks her basket, scattering flowers in the dirt. Fierce power emanates from her eyes as the wise woman gazes deep into his soul. I can see that you care for nothing. You love no one but yourself. Why should I? The boy answers arrogantly. She shakes her head. Then you are no better than a beast. The old, the wise woman raises her arm. She glows with power and magic. The boy gasps. His eyes go wide and he bolts back into the castle. He flees past the regents who apologize to the wise woman on his behalf. Forgive him. He's just a child. It's like a child in need of the lesson,' she answers. "'Please, please, we we, we can't let you harm her. And "'I warn you not to interfere.' "'Heedless of her warning, the regents block her way. She waves an arm at them, and they are transformed into objects, "'a mantle clock and a candelabra. "'She continues after the fling boy, "'transforming any and all who get in her way. "'The frightened boy runs through the castle. "'Looking over his shoulder, he dashes into the safety of his own room, "'shoving furniture in front of the door and hiding in a corner.' Moments later, the wise woman appears in front of him. He cowers behind a chair. Since you are no better than a beast, then you deserve to look like one. She waves her arm, and the boy is transformed into a monstrous creature, half boy, half beast. She takes a single rose from her basket. It begins to glow with enchantment. This rose will bloom until your 21st birthday. If you can learn to love another and earn their love in return by the time the rose withers... Then this spell will be broken. If not, you are doomed to remain a beast forever. She places the enchanted rose in an empty vase on the table. I will leave you with that and a gift. She reaches into the basket again and emerges with an ornate golden mirror. She places it on the table next to the rose. This enchanted mirror will show you any part of the wide world you wish to see. Look well, for it's a world you can no longer be a part of. And in a flash of mystical light, the old wise woman is gone. The beast child races desperately to the castle, up to the highest tower. He looks down to see her disappear in a deep, enchanted mist that is now surrounding the castle. I'm sorry, he cries. Please, please come back. I'm sorry. And as the beast child peers desperately out through the the bars, we pull back to, and we're, that's where Belle steps out of her cottage.
0: Wow, yeah, cool. that's that's really insightful actually. Yeah. and it does answer a couple of questions. So it's been a long time since I've seen the
2: the Animated version. Did we
0: know where the mirror came from before? No.
2: Okay, I didn't think we did, but I didn't want to like he put just that out has there. It. Yeah, yeah. That's all, so.
0: That's one question, and then the other yeah. one is that uh, that uh, most people have asked is why on earth did the enchantress turn all the servants who were just doing their job into inanimate objects? And Jim just answered it. Anyone who got in his in her way was turned into an object. Yeah that's really interesting jim i'm glad you found that because that that does actually make a lot of sense and and again the child being kind of a, a petulant little brat you know it's not just like he was a good kid but it was like my my parents told me never to answer the door like he obviously was kind of a jerk yeah they, kid, they
2: definitely like doubled down on him being a <laughs> yeah <laughs> well what's so funny is it was
3: i was actually supposedly kirk weiss gary Charzo kirk weiss who who wound up directing the movie who you know, sort of confronted Howard Ashman about, you know, well, first of all, if it's a little kid being changed into a monster, isn't he going to end up looking like Eddie Munster? You know, I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, half beast, half monster. So it's just sort of like, you know, and and more to the point, isn't it kind of a cheap way to get an audience's sympathy to hurt a child? And evidently Ashman really did, you know, I mean, he was, was very invested in this opening of the movie and was very pissed
0: off at the guys after
3: they did that but but in the end it, it, it had to go because again they just ran out of time and ran out of money i mean you know well, jim uh, I mean,
0: i'm sure you know they i mean they worked on this movie for like six months and scrapped everything because right. they they completely changed the look of this movie so i mean think of all that time of, of of having all your animators and your creatives for six months work on a movie and all your art concept and they just threw it out
3: well, I, you know, I've talked with Don Hahn, the producer's movie, a number of times, and he said, look, they kept the release date locked. You know, it was always November, Thanksgiving, 1991. And so by the time they fixed the story and got this thing turned around, they had 11 months to animate it. And as a direct result, I mean, you know, there's the famous cheat at the end where you, you finally get to see, you know, the Beast and Belle dance together and... You know, that's the the repurposed animation from Prince Philip and and Princess Aurora dancing at the end of Sleeping Beauty. In fact, you know, at the very beginning of the film, because, again, they had no time. They had no money. And they figured, you know, we can't just have pictures of stained glass windows. So they do the tracking shot in on the castle. And, you know, they show you forest creatures. That's Bambi and his mom. You know, just sort of like get them in there. Just that's you know, funny. Know. Interesting. Whatever convinces people, this is an animated movie. Go. You know. Just,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I I think that that's again really interesting the way that they did that with the intro, and I like the stained glass version better, honestly. And I mean, I know that it leaves a couple of questions, but I like them kind of quickly getting through the intro about no, no, the no, prince no. and.
3: Don't get me wrong. I I, I think that ver I, that that version's you know ridiculously effective. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, this is fun to read, and, and you know, sure. but at the same time, that that's five minutes of animation. Easy, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, and, you and know,
3: it's just, yeah. so. Um,
0: I think it would it answers questions, but it also kind of would have changed my opinion about the prince. And I think I don't I don't want to know about his backstory i don't want to know that he's a brat i don't want to know if he's good or bad you know i kind of like to learn who the beast is through the story and and the song
3: in this movie did you buy again we are what two-thirds into the movie and we suddenly get you know the the objects telling us you know the beast you know backstory Well he's mean because his mother died and his dad was a tyrant and it's (laughs) like you know, really, you know, and it's, it's like, you know, it's, so this is the Strasbourg version, you know, well, he has to have a motive for being a prick. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, let me, yeah, let me, I mean,
0: you know. I, I liked getting the backstory just because, I mean, it, it was better than not having one. Cause again, I mean, in that intro, you had your reasoning that he was just kind of a brat growing up as a kid. And that's how he was treated as royalty. And, and this version we have that his mother was kind, but the dad was a jerk. And I mean, I can kind of get that though. I mean, if you're raised by your dad and your dad's a, how are you going to grow up? You know, I guess. I mean, I, you know,
3: I mean, to get me wrong, I, I honestly think this is. In fact, I, I credit Nancy. This is Nancy's review of the live act Beauty and the Beast was like, this is ninety percent of a great movie, and then it's like ten percent of what the. Because- you know, just sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you know,
2: like uh, yeah, I I think that's where I landed too. Where it's like, oh, so much of the new stuff just it just didn't resonate with me. And and I don't say that as, a, as like a purist, like how dare you touch it. Sure, I think it's funny that they're making all these live action movies because I remember after, I guess after maybe a Bugs Life came out, after it became pretty clear that computer animation was going to make the hand drawn stuff seem really antiquated. I remember saying to people then. If Disney was smart, what they would do is they would grab the soundtrack, the audio tracks from those old movies, and completely create new computerized animation and just drop in the old audio track. So can you imagine seeing Peter Pan, but computer animated like like a Pixar movie? And like you wouldn't have to change a thing from a storytelling standpoint. You just need to reanimate it.
0: Yeah, I no, know.
3: That is so scary that you say that because you are literally in the Venn diagram as to why they make these movies. I mean, there's, I've heard folks at the studio basically say, this is the equivalent of dealing with kids in the 1980s who wouldn't watch black and white movies, so that's why the yeah. studio has colorized them. Yeah. You know, from, from it, it turns out, according to Disney's market survey, that there's a whole generation of kids Who love CG films, love the Pixar films, love Blue Sky, you know, what Illumination does... And when they look at these, these you know, they, they, they everything from, you know, Snow White right up until, like, you know, Home on the Range. It's like, well, they all must have been made in the 1940s because they look old. That, you know, that's and it's
0: crazy just- to me because, you know, Jim, I honestly just got used to CG. Like, mm-hmm. growing up growing up as a kid of the 90s, growing up with all these great animated films, again, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. I mean, Little Mermaid was the first movie I ever saw in theaters. So I grew up with these animated films, and they're so beautiful, and seeing them remain Mastered and, and upscaled you can, in Blu-ray to
2: show you the difference in age between Kevin and I. The first movie I thought saw in the theaters was the Apple Dumpling Gang. So <laughs> okay, I, I could top
3: all of you guys. You know, just, again, first film I saw in theaters: City you know, Lights. Okay, again, as a kid, Sword in the Stone. All right, sixty-three. <laughs> nice. okay. Wow. Um, so and, and you know, again again, you know, the weird thing is you you all of us have you know weird affection for that first film we saw because again, yeah. you know. The the whole go into the theater it gets dark you with all these people and giant screen and, and get to see this sort of thing but the other thing that drives these choices and remember you know that, that I'm sure you guys have seen just over the the past couple of weeks you know the the announcements of the you know favreau's you know they they much like the jungle book the lion king he's starting to get off the ground and and, he, and he's doing things where it's like He's got Donald Glover doing the voice of adult Simba, which like okay, good, smart choice. I can get that. But yeah. then, did you see who he got for Mufasa? James, James Earl James Jones. Jones. He's yeah, like, and April I think of like yeah. so the very thing you were saying about just take the you know the, the, the right the, the hand drawn and do it live you know do it with CG. Gets like maybe I need to get my resume
2: it. together. <laughs>
3: yeah. But
0: you know what? I mean, the thing is though, and obviously he'll be revoicing it. They won't just use the audio. But if you have James Earl Jones alive. I mean, you can't replace that voice. They use him as Vader, even though he, the voice, you know, yeah. like you cannot. Uh, as long I, as James Earl Jones is around, I, 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 I can't other. imagine. Sorry, I,
3: I have to interrupt here because Dave oh, Filoni yeah. told me this great story when they finally, you know, they're doing season two of Star Wars Rebels, and so that actually starts off with with Darth Vader. And so they, they and, and you know, again as part of the Lucasfilm acquisition, they got you know they, they they're getting the band back together. So they reach out to James Earl Jones and, you know, would you do Vader? And it's like, yeah, sure. And so he's he's in the studio with James Earl Jones, and and Jones is doing Vader for the first time in he, he said, I think the last time I did this was 13 years ago, and you know, so he's you get it, so he's in the booth talking like James Earl Jones and. Kind of underconfident about doing Vader again. And it's like you walk me through this, right? You're gonna sh- you you'll tell me how to do this again. And, and is like, you're doing it. I mean, you, you're
0: yeah. Him. You know, just, <laughs> There's really no difference. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, his yes, voice exactly. is just, yeah. Know,
3: I, but I just love the whole notion of you know you're gonna have to direct me here. I forget how to do the character. It's like <laughs> just
2: talk, you know. Just yeah. now, just talk. If, who would you get with a voice like that? Like my first thought is. Liam Neeson, but you can't have Liam Neeson voice Mufasa. He was already Aslan. Yeah, yeah. Very, very you know, true. it's like that would be weird.
3: Who's our go to go to list for lion characters? You know, it's yeah, like,
2: yeah, like who's got a voice with gravitas like mm-hmm. that? Like, I a, I honestly can't think of anybody yeah. off the top of my head. Do you know we were talking about Aladdin earlier? Do Do you have any idea who who they're looking at for the genie? You
3: know that that's the thing. All that that guy Ritchie is willing to talk about right now. Is that, you know, he's definitely looking to cast, he wants it to look authentic to the world. In fact, it, it's it's interesting that both the Mulan live action that's being prepped, uh, same thing. It's like, you know, Sarah, you've heard that there was a script initially out there where she had, you know, they were going to give her an Anglo love interest this time around. And, you know, somebody with a brain at Disney, is like, yeah, yeah. They will eat us alive. Don't yes. do that. So yeah. the genie right now, its its it again, it's just a question of, well, the Aladdin Broadway musical has proven. You know, this character can move on past Williams. But at the same time, it's just sort of like you need – I mean, the genie enters about a third of the way through the movie. And then he's the engine that drives the thing, yeah. uh, both with the humor as well as the kind of the pathos of – you know the whole you know again you know that, that's that's why everyone loves that moment where Aladdin throws away his third wish and frees the genie i mean that's 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 a great moment.
0: I'll have to I'll have to stop you there because technically the genie shows up in the very beginning of the movie because well, it's yeah, confirmed but... that he is the, the story the narrator.
2: Well, but but again, <laughs> perceptually he did not. not. Yeah, Get although in the Broadway G- play he shows up in character. He shows up as the genie at the beginning. Yep. Yep. I think because they know that the kids yeah. that go to see that and the parents have paid an ungodly amount of money to take their kids to see a Broadway play, those kids are going to be like, "Where the hell's the genie?" Right. You know, we were talking. One episode two episodes ago and we got on the topic of who would play the genie and my suggestion because you need a comedian That's very manic and and can riff and come up with stuff off the top of his head and and capture that Im- Energy, but you don't want somebody who's just gonna be an impersonation of Robin Williams. You know what I mean? and uh, and I thought Kevin Hart would be a great choice because he has that motor mouth thing going, and it would be such a different direction that it would be almost impossible to draw a comparison to Robin Williams. You know,
3: you know that's
2: actually a pretty inspired choice,
3: and and more Thank to the you. point, he could play, he he could do good again because there's there's a melancholy to the genie that that has to be there. That, um, yeah, that that's a great you know. Well, I hope somebody at Disney listens to that because that's a great yeah. idea. Okay. And it would
2: it would open up the film to a whole to you know to a whole new demo too. Not that black people don't like Disney movies, but it would it would be an invitation of like this isn't just a lily white thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah.
3: And and but again, I, you have to assume if you look at you know what Guy Ritchie did with the you know the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movies, um, this wasn't going to be a traditional Aladdin anyway. In fact, that that's. You know, that he, 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 Richie was talking about that, you know, he's done film about con men, about street rats. So it's like, OK, sure. I know this character. I can make this story work from that angle. From, and, you know, and, some-
2: yeah, and I will say, like, it's funny you say that, that he's got that on his resume, because I, I think that that ultimately and we've talked about this in the podcast as well, has been the true genius of what of what Marvel has done with their Marvel movies is that. They found directors. They realize that each property within it, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe is its own genre film, and so they've gone out and with Iron Man, it's like you got this main character who's kind of a bugog, but you like him anyway, and he's got this patter that's nonstop. Let's get the guy who made Swingers. Thor is kind of this fake Shakespearean thing let's get Kenneth Branagh like each each movie they've kind of gone out and found the guy that already knows how to make that genre of film and said just make it like that you know and so to get to to realize that Aladdin is about a con man essentially in street rats and to find a guy that knows how to make those movies is is a very very smart choice
3: oh I agree I agree you know in fact it's it's kind of ironic we're having this conversation right now because um in 2007 was remember marvel made this announcement that that you know they were going to make 10 movies you know and that they were all going to be interconnected and you know they were you know for the first time ever they were going to own the movies and everybody laughed because it was like oh come on you're Marvel (laughs) you can't possibly you know you you're the guys who signed away, signed away the rights for spider-man and the x-men you know in, in fact I, yeah. I was just reading a story where uh masel the executive who came in and set this thing, whole thing up as he's walking in the door to pitch them on this whole idea you know they're in the process of signing off the film rights to captain america and thor and he's like no 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 no, no. we're gonna need those you know <laughs> wow. just you you can't do that and, by and, the bell. and i just remember back there it's like you're Marvel you're going to hopelessly screw this up and and look at where we are now. I mean, you know, well, and they, I think everybody's I think what, chasing that model.
2: Well, and I think what they did right and where and where the other people are making a mistake in chasing that model is they want they want to hop on four movies in, you mm-hmm. know, and and they don't realize the degree of of patience that Marvel had that they oh, no. built it oh, no. and they they built it right and they they started, they didn't go straight to we need to put out four movies a year and it needs to be this huge. Inter- they, they like they gave you Iron Man and then oh. you waited and you got the next one. And, and DC, they can't make they can't finish the movie they're on. Every movie is about setting up the next three movies and yeah. nobody cares about the next three movies because the one that you're watching sucks. Yeah. I, did, I, did, I You know, I, I still I still remember when they
3: announced they were casting Robert Downey Jr. And everyone was like what? And then at the same time, remember, you know, remember, for the first time you saw that movie and the wonderful way it ended with the press conference and... Yes. It's like, meh, yeah. nah, I'm Iron Man. And it's just sort of like i have never you know for those of us who've who've seen dozens upon dozens of superhero movies i've never seen this movie before you know and it's just sort of like i can't wait for the next one of these i mean you know that's the feeling you want coming out of a movie it's just sort of like no more story more and 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 again what was great about that to to then get that that tag scene at the end with samuel jackson it's just sort of like (laughs) holy crap there's more coming
0: I'm oh, yeah, sure to find a way to get people to stay through the credits now in every single movie. Yeah, Like know, looking
2: just, for that, exactly. expecting it. Um, my you kids know, never want to sit through the credits or never want to not. They never yeah. want to leave during the credits on any movie I take them to. It's yeah. like they know all the gaffers by name. It's <laughs> crazy.
3: And I, so, I have to tell you, for, in fact, by the way, do you guys ever go out to CinemaCon at, at Vegas? Or? We don't got that kind of money. Oh, come <laughs> on. They don't notice. fly us anywhere. <laughs> you have to go at some point. You have to go because it's just sort of like when you are talking about movies with guys who run theaters. In fact, for example, they hate exhibitors hate the tag scene
2: because again they, they can't got- clean the theater
3: <laughs> no that's exactly they get a 16 year old with the, the trash barrel and they you know that the room is waiting you know, i was a, still sitting there
2: um, i was at a screening the other day and the screening was running late it was like a promotional screening and they were like we have to wait for this movie to end mm-hmm. and they were like well can you just kill the credits and they were like no we can't kill the credits because the movie was Uh, was Kong Skull Island and they were like we can't kill the credits because there's a post credit scene and if we do they're all going to want refunds they're all sitting there waiting for the movie to end so they they can can see the final scene Godzilla and and Ghidra and
3: you know yeah yeah. again I know we are we are in tangent hell
0: here guys (laughs) it's what we do it's
2: what we do so let's jump back into the the movie proper so
0: I mean basically and and we don't kisses them the end yeah right we (laughs) we don't have to go beat for beat for beat, but I think we should kind of just group things into here so emma watson is bell never heard of her yay or nay
2: she was fine she didn't blow my mind but uh but i wasn't like this is awful either you know Mm. she, she to me she did uh an admirable but she was serviceable like. I th-
0: I thought she had, I thought the look was fine I thought her voice was good it's just really really hard to match Paige O'Hara because sure. she is so good her vocal range if you go back and you listen to Belle Paige O'Hara and you listen to Emma Watson's there's no comparison like Emma Watson and, and no I'm not trying to diss on Emma Watson I mean she did a great job preparing for the role and practicing and everything but her voice just isn't you sure. know it's just not as good as Paige O'Hara's and so you know the the fan in me was just always comparing, and again, I like these versions, but when you compare, it's just a really tough thing to do.
3: Yeah, well, you know, it, she was brought into this project by Alan Horn. Uh, you know, that's the, the president of Warner Brothers during the the whole time the Harry Potter movies were being made. In fact, he was the one who kept her on the series. Emma wanted to bail as they were coming up to uh, Goblet of Fire, and it just sort of like. And he was like, no, you don't understand. This is going to be this series of seven or eight films that, that, you know, nobody's ever done this before. And you really want to be part of this. And if you talk with the folks at Disney Studios, they know from their own research that third up to a half of the audience turned out because it was Emma Watson. Because this is one of the reasons they chased her and Cinderella, they wanted her to get you know, to play the title role in that, and she, you know, it just, it, it, you know, at that point, they, again, same thing like the Milan script. They had, uh, they'd written this this different character for her to fall in love with a uh, uh, sort of a dissolute knight uh, rather than the prince, and she was like, nah, and and but Alan came after and pursued her, in her for Beauty and the Beast, and she was like. As soon as he said the title, it's like, I'm in, it's my favorite film, I grew up on that movie, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, shut up.
0: Oh, so. Wow, I and mean, it, it's great casting, I mean, she, I, she pulls off the look of Belle, she pulls off she pulls off the character, and, and her voice really is good, so I don't mean to, you know, underplay how good she is, it's, you know, it's just hard to compare, but then for the marketing side, like you just mentioned, the fact that half of the box office, half of the $500 million it's made in under two weeks, is because she's Hermione, you know, it's genius,
3: What did you think of the her being the inventor, the whole making the washing, you know, she invents the washing machine so she can teach the other girl to read and then that somehow upsets the entire village because, you know, oh, my God, she's teaching girls to read. I, Uh, you
0: know, uh, I mean, obviously, this is the 1700s, so it's a different time. But in real life, you know, this is 2017. So I get it. I get what they're trying to do. I think they handled it pretty well. Like, it didn't since I know what they were trying to do, I know that it's a bit forced, but I think they handled it well enough where it really didn't come off leaving a bad taste in my mouth. But, you know, in 2017, you can't have just a pretty face. You can't have Belle, meaning beauty. You can't just have a pretty girl that reads books, but also needs to be saved and rescued all the time. So she's an inventor. She's tough. She can stand up to Gaston. She doesn't say, oh, you know, I'll see you next week. I'm, I'm busy, Gaston. She says, I'm not going to marry you and slams the door in his face. You know, that's that's just women, you know, today, and, and I think that's the role model that young girls need to see in 2017 not the 25 year old version okay yeah but she was
2: but i you know i would make the argument that i think bell was was never just a pretty face i think that's why there was you know i mean she was hyper literate you know what i mean and so i mean i kind of felt like you know and it didn't ruin the movie for me or anything but i i just felt like it it's, at some point, it starts to feel like pandering.
0: I And again, I get... I, I, knowing what they're going for, that's the only reason why it came off a bit force, But I think it was handled well. And in the original, yeah, the reading was really the only thing. But it's like, you can't just show girls that, hey, you know, because you can read and you're smarter than people. Like, they want to show you above and beyond. You can fight and you can... Invent things, and you can be smarter than the guys in all these regards. And so, you know, I I just think it was a necessary choice to to upgrade the character. It was necessary.
2: Sure, I do wonder at some point if like we have an overcorrection on our hand. Like every movie goes to this point (laughs) to where it's like, like, is this generation of boys going to grow up and be like, well, boys suck, (laughs) like, and women do everything? Oh god, it's so funny you say this because it's
3: like if you understand Disney history. The reason Belle is the way she is is because of Ariel. I mean, think about it. Then Little Married comes out in 89. You have this 16-year-old girl who meets a guy and, you know, and literally, you know, fr- from the sex she meets again, she's willing to turn her back on her family, leave her dad, you know, and, and, you know, put it all behind her because, you know, she's fallen in love with this handsome guy. So that was actually the complaint from the feminist community, you know, just effective. That's a really bad lesson to give girls. So if you look at Belle, it's like she's ridiculously loyal to her father. or You know, it's, it's yeah. like, you know, in fact, she offers to trade places with him at the castle. And, and, you know, she's fallen in love with the beast, but sees he's sick in the mirror and I must go to him. So, you know, she's family first. And at the same time, because the whole notion of Ariel doesn't seem to have any skills. It's like, all right. Bell's got to read Bell's got to, you know, but then the weird thing is coming out of the 91 animated uh, beast is that people were complaining about, oh, my God, if you if you look back at it, it's like Bell is staying in an abusive relationship. I mean, the beast <laughs> is so terrible to her
0: stockholm but, syndrome you know it's so that's what know, people that's cry exactly. you know that yeah. it's a stockholm syndrome story yeah. and how what and kind of a lesson is that and so they do make her so much stronger in this version where no, that isn't really a question anymore that's
3: absolutely and in effect but the funny thing is you now you jump ahead to aladdin so it's now when a guy you have aladdin when he lies to a girl you see that he agonizes over about it he feels bad you know just sort of you know it's like each you know that's the funny thing is if you look at each of those movies each of them is trying to correct the complaints about the movie that came previously so and um. i
2: think sometimes i i feel i feel bad for filmmakers in that they're rich and famous. Well, there's that, and then uh, <laughs> poor guys. But then, like every every character, somehow is supposed to be all things to all people, or yeah. it rep. You know, like oh, today it'd be an impossible task to be you, a filmmaker in like, 2017. You know, so, just... I mean, if you if 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 the if the box we're painting filmmakers into is that every character has to be brilliant and smart and always make wonderful decisions, or it's a poor reflection on whatever. Category or label they might get lumped Into or assigned or Not or whatever label they aren't Then How do you like you know like I I do Think they kind of had a redemption Story arc for LeFou Because they feel like If he's gay that we can't do that and it's like But at some point Why can't you Like well, I get if Like if you If we live in a world Where there were Almost no gay characters And then you make A gay character And he's He's a villain Like you're like Whoa well, I don't think That should be Your only representation But as we get Further and further Away from that point It's kind of like uh, Guess who's coming To dinner And guess who's coming To dinner it, That was a very Controversial choice In that time So they took Sidney Portier And they made His character Like over the top Perfect like it was like he was a doctor And he worked in Africa and he helped Dying kids who were born with flippers for hands Like everything had to be like He is just the ultimate Example of Human goodness and it's like But that also is like you're also giving those actors like really boring roles to play. And then you're, then you're like, why don't they get awards? And it's like, because they have awful roles to play. Mm.
0: Yeah.
3: The other thing I just, a quick note here about LeFou that according to Condon and again, you know, that as they were shaping the screenplay here, uh, the thinking was that LeFou was going to be the contemporary voice in the film. I mean, but by both raising his IQ and, having him somewhat outside the story, kind of observing this and being in the middle of this change that, that he was going to be in a lot of ways, you know, sort of the, the, the voice in the audience. And, and again, you know, as you pointed out that, that line in kill the beast, you know, where he, he, you're seeing him turn, you're seeing him think. Um, But again, look, I enjoy Josh Gad. And I, for me, it worked. I know for a lot of people, you know, just because of what was said, we're constantly going through the movies. Is that the especially gay moment? No, hang on. Or is that right? Well, that
0: that's you know, the, the you bring yeah. up a good point, and that that is exactly the issue. Is that if they were going to do it, they should have doubled down. They yeah. were too afraid to double down and make him openly gay. So what they tried to do is they tiptoed around it and made a character that's kind of flamboyant i mean uh, maybe offensively flamboyant yeah and, I, and and questionably is he gay is he not gay and then at the end he dances with a guy for two seconds it's like if you're gonna make an openly gay character embrace it and make it ra- what's the controversy for
2: yeah no i agree i i i said it when we talked about it on a on a past episode i thought that his uh i i thought it was just as offensive to gay people because he's so prancy he's like kind of Every gay stereotype that it's like it's weird that they're making this big deal about they have you know an officially gay character in this Disney movie and really the the most concrete thing I'm making air quotes over concrete the most concrete thing to point to is as proof that he's gay is like well look how he talks. You know, like, right, that's I, why I, I don't I, think I, he's
0: I, not an had, openly gay character, because there's nothing open about it other than what you infer, which may be correct, but you're still inferring it.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess I, I have seriously flawed gaydar then, because I just got the sense <laughs> that they actually bent the needle the other direction, that it's just sort of, it, the, the gayness of the character is the, I mean, he's clearly enamored of Gaston, but it's just sort of, again, it's it's undercooked, it's You know, the whole thing of him hugging him a little too long after the song. People tell me I'm clingy. You know, so I mean, I think a lot of that just comes from the, you know, the kind of performer Josh Gad is that, you know, remember that, you know, this is the Book of Mormon guy who, you know you know just it would form weird attachments to his, his fellow brothers and in, in, again out in Africa so
0: I think um, he did a great job with the role the thing is he 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 put his own spin on it but the character was still written to say certain things and do certain things yeah. and it's not Josh Gad's fault I think he's a great actor I think he's hilarious but I just think that they wrote the character wrong he
2: was kind of like early season Smithers yeah <laughs> you know, that yeah. is mean, it is it's the okay. exact same
0: it is the exact same relationship as yeah. I mean, it question it's know, kind like. of like Smithers
2: yeah. and and uh, Tonto, mm. like oh. you know, like how they've kind of updated Tonto to where like Tonto is the brains and the Lone Ranger is the dumb one. Like yeah. it's, I mean, Gaston was always the dumb one, but. He was dumber. Yeah, you know what I mean? well,
0: and it's funny. I mean, LeFou literally translates into the fool. So to make him smart, just for the sake of doing it, that does kind of go against the character. Maybe
2: it's uh, ironic the way they always call big guys tiny. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. It mean, just,
3: I, I again, this is probably admitting that I was dropped as a child on my head too many times. But I, I really kind of liked Lone Ranger. You know, just sort of the in fact the kind of left handedness of it, and and remember that was. You know, originally supposed to be the sort of the twin of, of Pirates of the Caribbean. And, you know, I, I've actually got a copy of the script where the Butch Cavendish, you know, the whole thing where he eats the heart and that sort of thing is that's because he's a werewolf and
0: that's oh that's what
3: okay <laughs> that's actually why I would explain the silver it, bullet it's I guess the first yeah. script for the Lone Ranger the reason that the Lone Ranger uses silver bullets is because he's not just killing bad men he's killing bad men who yeah. are
2: werewolves
0: oh my gosh uh, yeah that and, might have actually uh,
3: been a better movie and I will say
2: I think the Lone Ranger was a misfire <laughs> but I don't I didn't think it was as bad as it got made out to be like no, I, no, I not at all not at all yeah I, mean, I, I remember did, that you know, know I, and I, I Exactly. everybody in the room looking at me like I was crazy because they thought I was going to hate it and I was like it was fine they just yeah. needed it just it just didn't quite work but it wasn't horrendous i, I
3: liked the i've actually got the guy who's who's a big time disney collector i mean as in he's one of these guys who buys you know has the basement filled with toys that are still in their boxes that you know he just buy, bought them for for trading further down the line and he remains totally convinced that the Lone Ranger is the next rocketeer. That, you know, you, you know, fifteen, twenty years down the line this is gonna be playing on television or, you know, or, or our phones or whatever it is we're watching at that point. And people are going to rediscover it and love it. And he, that's why when everything was marked down to 10 cents on the dollar, he cleaned out every Disney store. <laughs> I was going to say,
0: the Disney store, you could have cleaned up in that yeah, 90% off. worth of stuff. Yeah. And
3: it's all in his basement, all, you know, wow. sealed in plastic, waiting <laughs> for that moment when, you know, Good suddenly luck. people want to have Disney Lone Ranger stuff. So,
2: See, I think the movie that that will be like that, and there weren't that many toys made for it. It was real steel.
0: Oh. See that was a fun movie I like that In it the wa- same kind of way That I like Pacific Rim I yeah. know you don't like Pacific Rim as much But it's one of those Just it's giant robots Punching each other It's yeah. fun And It was such a good story Though on top But of it. it was good And yeah. Hugh Jackman's great I yeah. mean That movie is is I think that's one of the Big issues that we're having When, when critics are Overly critical of films mm. And not judging them Based on what they're Trying to achieve You know Not every movie Is Citizen Kane right. And I'm not saying You shouldn't make The best version Of whatever you're Setting out to do But sometimes they do A really good version and people compare it to something else that is... Yeah, I'm a big know.
2: believer that you have to judge a movie on what it's attempting to be. Yeah. You know, Animal House is a great movie, but no, it's not Citizen Kane. It's an, it's a great Animal House. Right. Know? So well, let's jump back into Beauty and the Beast. Yeah,
0: so, okay, so uh, Luke Evans is Gaston. I will have to say that he is probably my favorite part of this movie. I think Luke Evans did this character so much justice and may even top the animated version. Hmm. I really loved his performance. I thought he could sing, but I also thought he could act and being the chauvinist and, and uh you know, just loving himself and looking in the mirror. I thought he really pulled it off. And again, I mean these are characters that I've grown up watching and so Gaston's a, is big shoes to fill and the voice and, and you know that whole personality and, and man I was really, really impressed with Luke Evans.
2: I don't know I'm a big Robbie Benson fan.
0: Wasn't could, he the beast?
2: Yeah. He, Isn't that what you said that was Gaston? Oh, I think you said the beast. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Okay, then that that case, I do agree with you. Yeah, i i, I think <laughs> I
0: think Luke Evans was awesome. I was like, wow, because he's a larger than life character, and yeah. especially when you you uh, cast someone who, I mean, sure, Luke Evans may be ripped, but he's not as big as Gaston in the cartoon. That's a huge guy. So when yeah. you get someone that's just a an average looking, but you know, really in good shape guy. You, you're like okay he doesn't quite have the height Or the build you know he's got to have the Voice and he's got to have the personality and man he Sells it
2: yeah no I agree I th- I think That he really threaded the Needle in terms of like Capturing the spirit of the cartoon Without becoming a character a car- Yeah yeah like I I, I thought he He'd, he'd- he of the th- of the four main characters, I think that he was probably the best.
0: Yeah, and and he never comes off as silly because that's what you would do if you try to be the big bulky, you know, Gaston from the cartoon. You're going to come off as just a really, really terrible, cheesy actor, yes. right? And he didn't, and that was what was so great about
2: it. Yeah, it would be too over the top to see a, a real live human do that. It
0: would. What did you guys think about, okay, the songs? So the songs, again, we've talked about it. I mean, they've got a built-in Broadway musical from the moment it was released in 91. Beautiful Songs by Ashman and uh, Mankin. These songs, obviously, they've updated. They've, they've changed the arrangements a little bit, the way they sing them. How do you guys think they compared the original numbers?
2: I mean, I would say that I like the original songs better, but I, I wasn't disappointed with these... Renditions—they were, for the most part, fairly faithful. I don't think the average person, outside of just a diehard fan that is intimately familiar with the soundtrack of the original, I don't think the average person is going to notice any major differences between them. You know, it's not like all of a sudden, it, you know, be our
0: guest was reggae. You know yeah, what I mean? like, right. It, it was. They were pretty. They were fairly faithful. They were pretty I, straightforward. I was happy with them. I mean, again, I think I just. I just love the original too much. And, yeah. and not saying that just because of nostalgia. I mean, I think the original is so good, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I thought they were definitely like, – they did a good job. Jim, what about you?
3: Well, I, again, my problem is that, you know, when I, like Days in the Sun, the new song for, you know, when the creatures, you know, or the, the enchanted objects are going to bed, it's like – My problem is my yardstick is human again, which is, you know, both in the Broadway show and in the the enhanced version of Beauty and the Beast was created for the IMAX release. So that's a killer number. And and Days in the Sun, I I just don't think compares to it. And I guess I have to grade that one on a curve. In fact, I think the thing that, that kind of makes me a little nuts about this is did you hear that originally disney wanted to do this without music i mean literally it was going to be doing the beast that was going to be what was going to make it different from the animated film is no songs and oh. Condon was like, "Are you people insane?"
0: Oh, that would have yeah, that would have killed it. I mean, it's, that would've... It's
2: not a strong enough story. Oh. It's oh. just. Although I will say, I would have thought that about Cinderella, mm. and and Cinderella with almost no songs
0: because yeah. Cinderella doesn't have uh, aside from Bippity Boppity right. Boo. You know what I mean? Like Cinderella is not Beauty and the Beast. Sure. Aladdin, Li- like Lion King. I mean, you have to have those songs.
2: Yeah, like you even just... Jungle Book worked in kind of the one song that rattered. Right. Yeah, you know. But yeah, that would have that, that would have been awful. Now, I, I've never seen the original. I did, I was too lazy to 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 look this up. Did they are not the original, the Broadway play? Did they use any of the songs that they because there's no. new songs in the Broadway production? In fact, right.
3: That's yeah. uh, you know that that that's uh, look. Eisner was the one who actually first talked about doing a movie version of you know a live action movie version of Beauty and the Beast. In fact, I forget which of the I mean it might be the first time. The film came out on Blu-ray. You know, I mean, I, you know get how Disney every five years it's like the this vault. is the platinum edition. This is the diamond yeah. edition. This is the <laughs> turquoise ring. You know, flannel edition.
0: Oh, I haven't gotten my turquoise flannel ring yet. There
3: you go. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, I got to get that one.
3: But at the end of uh, you know, one of the making of features, you know, that they that here's Eisner and it's like, you know what we should do? We should do this as a live action movie and take the best of the songs from the Broadway show and, and the the songs that people love from the movie and, and do this and it's like, Boy, this I I really want us to do this someday and it's sort of like so if Eisner had been in charge and this had actually gone forward and, and evidently the plan was they were gonna wait for the show to finish its Broadway run, never anticipating that it would run on Broadway for 13 years, right? That it um, would never end. You know, yeah. <laughs> so in fact, they shut it down so they could move Little Mermaid into the Lunt-Fontaine. You know, that yeah. I want to say that's 2006, 2007.
2: Um, why, why would they not use those songs, though? Like, if they're already out there, they already know that they work and people like them. Why would they not import them? Uh, I, I don't, I don't get it, this. other than
0: to just add something new. but No,
2: this is – I hate to say this, but this is this
3: is the world of Hollywood. And it's like, look, if you put three new songs into the score, chances are – one of them will get nominated for an Academy Award.
2: And and I get that. I would think that they would do what Dream Girls did. They would write their one new song. They would pull in two songs from Broadway that they know already work. And then you know what I mean? And then that way if you ha- you know, that way you don't have to worry about having three clunkers like you already know you got stuff that's been right. road tested.
0: There you must know? have, you know, but I think the problem is, Tom, that the original movie, and even though it only runs an hour and a half, has so many good songs that if you're going to do like a mashup, I mean, you can't have mall all because it'd be too long, but what do you cut? Because the songs are so good, and it right. is song after song after song, and so I think if they wanted new stuff in, they... And they can't get rid of the old stuff. I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't have worked in. in yeah. yeah, but I just think instead
2: yeah. of one of the th- instead of three new songs, yeah, four. Like, it was a four. Okay, yeah. get, cut it down to one and yeah. bring in three from, or even two and two. Like
0: I, Chuck I, Wool, Chuck, I, Wool- Chuck I, Woolery. It. Yeah. I think what Jim said is, I think he's on the money though that they wanted four new songs for four attempts at a oh I get a, that a but best song because but, the the new ones. I again, I liked Evermore. I yeah. know I'm alone here, but like I thought that song was beautiful. The other three, I could never hear again. But, I would you say. Know, it's,
2: write your four. Write your four. Pick your best one, yeah. and then and then go with what works. Because I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know you you want to win those awards ultimately to drive box office, and sure. you're you're not gonna yeah. have an issue here. You know what I mean? Like yeah, absolutely. The, you know you know this like nobody's gonna run out and and buy Beauty and the Beast just because it got nominated for an of Oscar for not, best no. song. Like it's it, like it's gonna make all the money no matter what you do, unless you just completely yeah. Screw the pooch. So basically, I mean, just just going Which through- might be bad wording considering what this movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so, it-
3: in fact, you know, just to circle back to to the gay LeFou thing, it's like it was was Don Hahn who you know who was was out. It's like now let me get this straight. Yeah, people are upset about. You know, the, a gay LeFou. When basically, this is a movie that celebrates bestiality. You know, she right, like yeah. he wants to sleep with a buffalo. All right, now, like, it, You know, it's like, you know, and you're worried about the gay supporting yeah. villain character. It's like,
0: hmm. well, I think that's the, the kind of double standard or the hip, hip, hypocrisy that we face with most people that take issues with things like that. It makes no sense. But I will say, ultimately, the the reason that I think, going back to what Tom said about making the film CG instead of live action, that is where this movie probably would have been a little stronger. Again, maybe weaker because you're not seeing people like Emma Watson that are a huge draw. But the difference is that when you have a woman falling in love with a creature... In live action, that's a little weird. I mean, yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. It's a little off-putting. But they
2: always also make sure that he reverts to a human before they really move too terribly far. But, into the... but she
0: still fell in love sure. with the creature. And what I'm saying is that in in cartoon form, right, that we all grew up with, I mean, that we've known and loved since 91, it's a cartoon, right? So people are more accepting of it. Yeah. When you come to live jarring. action, that's always the struggle because, I mean, the Beast... Looked okay I thought the animation was Decent but you're still
2: I thought he Was kind of jerky in spot not as a Not as a character but like I thought That he was very kind of Spasmatic at times like I don't
0: It just I think that I mean again It was good but it wasn't great and that's The struggle you're going to have with a live action Film and a beast monster Guy you know what I mean mean, how are you going to get that right
2: I also think it's ironic that they take these Animated films and they say let's Let's make a live action version of it and Then like 80% of it is CGI FBI, which all is right. really just animation.
3: Yeah.
0: But, you I know, was it...
2: oh, I'm sorry to, to give
3: Dan, Stephen some credit. The story is coming off of the set in Shepperton. Is this poor slob is wearing eight inch long stilts in a performance <laughs> capture outfit? You know, he has to show up every day to get all those markers put on his face. And, and there's this great story about you know they they so he and Emma shoot the ballroom scene. And then, you know, they, they they later in production, they're like, Dan, I'm sorry, can you come in today? You know, we didn't get the face of the beast the way we wanted to during the ballroom scene. And, you know, you're falling in love with her. So, you know, we're, we're going to do that again. And he, he basically had to sit in a chair. And move his head, you know, they showed him the the live action, the reference footage of the beast moving. And so he had to move his head as if he were waltzing while sitting in a chair, falling in love with, you know, again, just with a camera right at him. Emma's like three weeks off the film at this point, and it's just sort of like, oh, you know, I well, I'm waltzing in a chair. You well, know?
0: poor guy. I I heard the story was he had to film the entire movie twice because it was his it was his waist up and then the legs. I heard that so you had like his movement, his facial expressions, and then the the lower half of his body were filmed two separate times. Yikes! <laughs> so I mean, poor guy. I it's nothing oh. against him, you know. I'm just like that. That is. That's awful to have to go through that and do the same performance twice and get that right. But I, I think it was good. I think his performance was good. I think his voice was good. I feel that it was kind of Robbie Benson inspired. Sure. I don't think it quite matches Robbie Benson. I mean, I definitely will say that, that the original is so good. But the first time you hear him when he's in the castle and uh, the dungeon and Belle is trying to, you know, rescue her father. I heard his voice and I'm like, okay, like I can buy it. I didn't go, oh, I hate that voice because yeah. it was very inspired.
2: I would say ultimately, and I and again, overall, I like the movie. But I would say ultimately, the movie is a really top notch tribute band. That's that's an excellent analogy. I, I, yeah. I can I can totally get behind that.
3: One last thing, because I I have to ask what you guys thought at this moment. All right, it's it's the the end of be our guest. All right, you know we're building to the big number. And they suddenly cut to the Taj Mahal-like dish cabinet at the end of the table, and the door bursts open, and here's Cogsworth with the turban, and the air fills with colored explosions like out of, you know, a, a Holi Spring Festival, the, the, fest, you know, the celebration of colors, celebration of spring. Tell me, I'm not the only one who thought you deliberately did that to go after the Indian market.
0: You know, that's an interesting thought. I wasn't thinking that. What I was going to say is, Be Our Guest is my number one complaint about the film. And I loved the film. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very good. Uh, Obviously, I'm a fan of the original. But I've seen this movie twice. I want to see it again. Mm -hmm. But Be Our Guest was, again, too self-indulgent for me. Because... And these live action films, again, they're live action. We're not in a cartoon. We're in the real world here. And as much fantasy and magic as there is, they're still in a real world 1700s France. And so, Be Our Guest goes from the dining table into CGIville, and you just like, where are we when you're halfway through the song and you see all the spoons and the dishes doing their thing yeah. and they're stacked up higher than probably the, the castle is tall. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously just over exaggerating here, but my point is that we've taken this grounded film and we've taken this one of the best numbers in the movie, but we've traveled to CGIville off of the dining room table and out of the kitchen, and I didn't like where we ended up. I thought I thought they just did it because they could and they wanted to be big and flashy about it, and I don't think it fit the tone.
2: It was like a Busby Berkeley scene. It was mm-hmm. just like and 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 then it, it was also almost like who was the lady who did all the swimming stuff? Esther. Esther Williams. Was, yeah. Yeah. Like it. It was like it. I, I. It was almost at that point like watching a kaleidoscope. That's what it was yeah.
0: exactly. I felt like I was watching a. a Kaleidoscope, Acid Trip, something like they did in Doctor Strange with all the colors. What kind like, of kaleidoscopes
2: did your mother give you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was a combination of just a crazy thing. And, again, visually, like, if I were to watch that on its own, I'd be like, yes, yeah, visually impressive. Good job, computer people. Right. But as for the film, I'm like, you're telling me we're in the dining room right now? No yeah. way. And and it just it, – it, it it was too – two out there.
2: For yeah, me. It, it at that point it just it was just completely surrealistic.
0: Yeah, like there was just it made it, no sense to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah this just, grounded world. They
2: were just but doing it because they could. If you talk yeah. with
3: anybody associated with the film, they 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 say they went that way. They buried the needle in that direction for the 3D version. You know, this was oh all, yeah yeah this was no, all, no, all about that.
2: convincing the audience that they
3: had to pay fifteen dollars a ticket to see <laughs> this. And so
2: I you, I will yeah. say I've seen a lot of 3D movies where I take off my glasses because I do that a lot because I don't like 3D and the movie in large swaths of the film aren't really all that 3D. And I will say... They're not blurry. Yeah, yeah. every time I took off my glasses in this film, it was very blurry. Like, they obviously... Really did their 3d rendering on This when they when they tell you that it's 3d There it's not three scenes and Then the rest of it is just like make that rock look Closer like it was yeah. <laughs> they were it, They didn't they didn't clash of the titans It like sure. they, they did oh, it God, for real yeah. so I will I, I got to give them credit for That yeah so um,
0: but I mean really the Plot just pretty much stays the same so a Couple of differences that I liked I think I mentioned It earlier but early on when When bell is you know going Through the town and gaston says I'm Going to go ask her to be my wife like I Instead, doing the big party and the band that Lefou has in the cartoon, he just goes up to her door. But Emma Watson's Bell straight up tells Gaston, "I'm never going to marry you," and shuts the door in his face. I liked it. You know, yeah. I, it didn't go over the top like it could have if they tried to recreate the cartoon. Yes, sure. also gave Bell that strength. Kevin Kline's Maurice, he is—he's uh, an artist instead of an inventor I guess mainly I mean he tinkers but he's, yeah, he's more he's t- more of an artist yeah and he he leaves to go to town and you know he has the wolf fight I mean it's it's basically the same thing as the cartoon the horse comes back Bell goes after him and then uh you know trades places with him very much very much the same you know I thought the introduction t- I thought the characters like when we talk about the ancillary characters like uh, Cogsworth and Lumiere you know I thought they did a pretty good job I thought Ian McKellen I loved him as Cogsworth I just I just I think he's great in the role even McGregor you know I mean the, the English accent was touch and go but he yeah. was good he had the charisma he had the character what did you guys think those are kind of the two big side characters yeah I
2: thought those were the the closest to just flat out impersonations of the original film but um, I think it works especially since they're animated it's less jarring went to see someone basically impersonating what came before them
3: yeah. Uh, I, again not to, to i know we've been jumping around the whole time here but what did you think of at the end where it was revealed like cogsworth had a a wife in the village or, or for that matter mrs potts had a husband in the village and, and the whole conceit of the part of the spell was that the village forgot you know that I, I think a it castle makes, here and i that, think that, it
2: that, makes it yeah, it makes it make a lot more sense.
3: It, it,
0: yeah, it really yeah. is, because how do you forget a castle and a prince and all that just because they're turned into beasts and inanimate objects? It's like this is the the prince of the town. I don't know what you call it, but, you know, this is the prince. How do you forget him? And I think the spell working on the villagers like that was very smart.
3: Okay. I, I you know I guess for me that the Mrs. Pye – I mean, I kind of felt bad for Emma Thompson having to try to make that moment work or for that matter – the actor, I mean, if you, again, once you watch it, if you're seeing it for the second time, and the, the you know Bell having that moment with him in the village, it's like, what have you forgotten? You know, you've forgotten something again, and it's like this is Mister Potts, who's clearly troubled by you know I got there's something I can't remember. Oh yeah, my wife, my child.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. right there. If you when you watch it again, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So
3: like, look, it's okay to change things. It just that one felt kind of like. Uh, all right, that, And, you know, that, and that was again a long way to go for the joke of you know turn me back into a clock, turn me back into
2: the clock. I hate my yeah, life. turn me back into
0: the <laughs> clock. Like, yeah. yeah, that was kind of funny. He but literally I-
2: wanted to turn back time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah I mean it really I mean they're they're not too many huge changes you know again I liked the the going to Paris and going to the house um, just because it gave the the mother's back some backstory and what happened to her because in the cartoon I always wondered why is she alone with the dad yeah. and I mean the attraction aside I mean again I know the spells story time cottage or whatever but that didn't really bother me I mean I know that that gives you questions but again I think for the story and to flesh out the characters and make them more complete I liked that change and uh, other than that there wasn't a whole lot of different. Uh, I liked the line that LeFou had again and and uh you know kill the beast because it gave him it made it like he's not just a lackey that's going to follow him to his death, you know? It, it gave it gave the character of LeFu more to do and it it made him more like hey, okay, you know, I want to be like this guy. He's popular. Like that's all great until you realize he's a bad dude. Like he's not this is not someone that i should just be blindly following into battle and so i like that just that small little line change and the delivery by josh gad i think that adds a lot to the character so like subtle things like that they changed they weren't like they changed you know 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 15 pages of story like they made those subtle little changes but to me it made the story more complete
3: yeah, I could. I couldn't get, if, though, actually, the, the, there's a fun little moment at the end, and I'm not talking about Josh uh, gonna, dancing with the guy, but it turns out when they were putting this film together, somebody dug down into Howard Ashman's trunk and found one more verse to Beauty and the Beast, you know, that, that, that there's a line that we've never heard before of famine turns to feast, and 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 what 's funny is that that back in ninety one when you know they were looking at what a Peebo Bryson and Solan Dion to to sing the song, there was pressure from the studio to the effect of you know we need one more verse we we, we think we have a you know a, a top ten hit here, and it 's like it's like, guys, I have used the only word I have not used that rhymes with beast at this point is yeast. You know, and just, you know, I can You know, there's only so many words. You know, and it's like he
2: was like, I can't do can anything. With, so he
0: was like, I can't do anything
2: else. Sheesh.
0: Oh wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: there,
3: you go. there you go. That is so.
0: that is funny. But you know, so at the end, um, I will say the last thing that they really changed was the ending mm-hmm. because it's a dramatic moment. So you have to remember in the cartoon she says, I. I love you right before the beast dies. The pedal falls and it's like a uh, it's like a photo finish. You know, which one's yeah. going to happen? He turns back in. Yay. Happy day. In this movie, they kill everyone. Essentially, they turn yeah, I everyone thought... into inanimate objects for a moment. And it's sad. It's like four minutes long.
2: Yeah, I thought they held I... that beat a little too long. I, I,
3: I have to admit, you know, I mean, in fact, you know when they almost killed chip you know it's like what are yeah, the things yeah. it's like but i get it i mean you know just in fact you know that's the the conceit of the broadway show is that as you're watching the, the thing on stage the costumes change as as time goes on they become more and more like the the objects that they are and um, they they do that a couple of times during the film when a, a pedal falls they they become that much more stiffer or you know a cogswork yeah. becomes even more clock like but yeah. I don't know I I I I get it you know I I get the choice and it actually did sur- I mean you're right it's too long but it works.
0: Um, i liked it too jim I, I i really liked it because again i've grown up with this movie i've known it for 25 years i know it's gonna happen and in the end the same thing still happens yeah. but it was like wait what? Well, hold on like it kept me guessing and i yeah. liked that they added it and it was a bit emotional like even oh, though i, I knew agree. that they were gonna I be agree. okay i was like starting to tear up i'm like hey they actually did do it pretty well you i think. really like candles
3: Wow. <laughs> he never know. lights I, them get, you know, for that um, very reason I, I love the, 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 the moment with Emma Thompson sliding on the tray with her son the, you know little boy turning back into little boy I could have done without the dog peeing you know but it's just sort of like I get it you look at the coat racks
0: yeah. yeah it was it was funny but you know and then in the end it's like happily ever after it's, it's I, all you know, good.
2: I saw mm-hmm. it with the whole family and uh, I was sitting next to my son who's 17 and so I was driving him crazy because every time they would show the 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 coat rack i'd be like hey check out that rack (laughs) i'm like and he's like dad like this joke never gets old you're gonna hear it for the whole movie Because I'm the one that's a teenager. <laughs> so uh, well uh, well thank you for joining us, Jim. This has been a great discussion. It's always great to have you on. You you have so much insight and backstory and things that happened a million years ago that you have squirreled away in your basement. Yeah, you must have a very it's, patient
3: wife. Just lots of squirrels in
2: the basement. I yeah, well. <laughs> not traps, But
3: you no, know, it's it's always a treat,
2: guys. Tell them where where they can find you and all your wonderful Disney and other animation and theme park.
3: News. Oh, let's see. We've got Jim Hill Media. I do the stuff for the Huffington Post. I do the podcast with Len Testa. Uh, that's it. iTunes and Bandcamp. And like I said, I'm
2: in the basement killing squirrels. So, you know, hey, it's it's a, it's, it's a full life. So. Well, thank you. And uh, Kevin, why don't you tell them where you can, where they can find you?
0: Sure. This is Kevin Brackett. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R Brackett, and read the reviews and interviews on ReviewSTL.com.
2: And you can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. Don't forget, if you want to continue the conversation online, if you have your thoughts about Beauty and the Beast, you can find us at Facebook.com slash... Real spoilers where you can leave a message Or tell us how much uh, We suck I don't know You can do all sorts of things there you could also share An episode of the show with your friends join the League of show shares that's always delightful as Or well.
0: you know what then what they can always do is Is that uh tell the fine folks how bad of a movie monster squad
2: is that's the joe loves it when people do that so so feel free to stop by and do that as well and also don't forget we're available on itunes so you can go there rate review subscribe we greatly appreciate it and it helps us tremendously so that's it uh for this episode so uh thanks for tuning in and until next time larry's father bludges him to death with his own walking stick